0: Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of London Calling, our very own property podcast brought to you by Coraco Professional Mortgage Brokers. My name is Andrew Montlake, you can call me Monty, and I shall be your host to guide you through and investigate the very latest in the world of mortgages, property and the general financial world. This is London Calling. (laughs) So, here we are in 2017, and whilst many of us will be glad to leave the annus horribilis of 2016 behind us, the question now is very much where do we go from here? Brexit, a Trump government, inflation on the way back, and forward guidance from Governor Carney at the Bank of England that says the next move in interest rates could be up or could be down. Cheers, Mark. Then we have the housing market itself, and finally, (sighs) after lots of delay... The government's long-awaited housing white paper that was released in a blaze of publicity and came up with several conclusions, including (coughs) we need to build more houses. There was an admission that the housing market is broken and a raft of measures that are meant to help cure the system, although short of a lot of actual detail. To chat about all of this, I'm again humbled to have the veritable minefield of information where all things property is concerned in Ed Mead, the independent property advisor and indeed Coraco's property expert and founder of UBA. Hello, Ed. Good afternoon, Monty. And we're also joined by the managing director of Coraco himself, a man that needs no introduction, but I will anyway, Matthew Lowndes. Hello, Monty. Hello, Matt. Um... So, let's dive straight in then. Housing white paper. On the face of it, of course, it's great that the government seem to finally be taking this seriously, although the targets seem mighty tough given the woeful performance of the past. Um, Is it a step in the right direction, or does it fall woefully short, Ed?
1: Well, I mean, I think it's very important that... They stated that they wanted to build the the usual, the million homes by 2020. Um, But I have to say, I've seen um, Gavin Barwell talking a few times now, and he certainly knows his stuff. He's had an awful lot of people crossing uh, through his office. And he seems to have a pretty good grip on what's necessary. Um, One thing I was very happy to hear him talk about was about putting more planners in offices, because I sit on quite a few committees and round tables and heaven knows what. And the one thing that the house builders always say, and this is the house build, the, the mm. big house builders, admittedly, is that they uh, they get very bored of the planning process taking so long. So, if you ask me, they've got a real grip on it this time.
0: Is that an excuse from the from the the big builders for? for well, land it could banking? be.
1: It, it could be. I mean, clearly, land banking has always been part of it, mm. and, and, and this government is is determined as part of this white paper to incentivize these guys, or indeed penalise them for not using their land in time. Uh, which I'm a which I'm a complete fan of. I mean I've said to you before, we've we've you know done a few of these Monty and talked a lot in the past and we've we've often talked about how the government missed a trick back in, in 08, O eight, oh nine, when instead of spending lots of money putting money into the banks and rescuing the banks, what they should have done is perhaps rescue one of the house builders yeah. and step in and, and buy a house builder yeah, and a land absolutely. bank. Absolutely. So there are lots of tricks they've missed, but they're very they're they're very keen to to make the planning process quicker, easier. Um Obviously a lot of um uh, what's the right word um controversy around greenbelt land mm-hmm. uh, building more on brownfield land uh, packing the planning authority uh, offices with people and encouraging
0: small house builders to build, which is very important from their perspective mm. um yeah i mean it's it's interesting to see that, <coughs> that that the rhetoric has shifted away from home ownership um with some planning rules being amended, so councils can plan to build more rental homes and encourage more long-term tenancies. Um, so is that is that a major shift? Is that more than a little at odds with recent attacks on landlords? Are they are they trying to encourage? No, I don't actually, think so. I think the, they
1: what they're trying to do is to encourage this build-to-rent scenario mm. where they. Um, I know Gavin Barwell taught, has talked, when I've seen him, about how he's been abroad talking to people like the Germans about how they have their. Um, A a situation where, of course, don't forget, if you go on the continent, I mean, I was fairly staggered in the same um, seminar that I was talking or listening to Gavin Barwell talking. There was a German there talking about how house prices in Germany are more or less the same as they were in nominal terms in 1970. Really? And that is quite a shocker. If you're English and you you sit there and you you listen to someone saying that. And you can understand that, of course, in, in countries like that, people don't buy property for... Yeah. for investment, yeah. whereas in the UK since the sort of late 80s, early 90s, people have done that. So it's very, very difficult to understand sometimes why there's been quite such a commitment to home ownership and all that. I mean, I rented for 25 years. I've never had a problem with the mm. concept of renting. I'm all for making renting a perfectly acceptable part of the way you move or, or the way you live, because, of course, the moving costs are so great these days that it's discouraging people from moving. And, and you and I both know that if you want money to flow into the economy, you have to have people moving around buying stuff it's a healthy way to have your 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 economy geared you know 10 percent of the economy is uk property plc mm-hmm. um and that's been stifled over
0: the last few years so this government white paper does seem to be doing a little bit to move in that direction and um here's a question i was asked on B U C the other day actually uh so their targets of a, a a million homes that they want to build um, Aspire in the sky, isn't it? Well,
1: it's a bit arbitrary, but they built 190,000 last year. or well, there are 190,000 starts last year. So they reckon that that is a, a – well, they think it's the minimum. They really think they should be doing two hundred forty, two hundred fifty thousand 250,000 yeah. a year. Um, but given that they've done 190,000 uh, 190 yeah. last year, and if you look back historically, they've done more than that in the past. Admittedly, that's when local authorities were building, which they're not at the mm-hmm. moment. Um, then that should be possible. So it 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 may be pie in the sky, but he's very confident he can do it. And who are mm. we to stand in his way?
0: And um, so they, they sort of watered down the the bits about building on greenbelt land. If I if I read that correctly, there was a, there was a big Ferrari about it. First of all, that they were going to release swathes of
1: Well, I would ignore that
0: actually. I would
1: ignore that a little bit because there never was a danger of huge swathes of greenbelt mm. being. I mean, there is an, an, an argument to suggest that an awful lot of the greenbelt which would be built on is currently very intensively farmed. And is not necessarily there for as an area. Everyone imagines when you talk about Greenbelt that it's going to be lovely, long, sweeping <laughs> views towards yeah. the mountains, but it's just not like that. So I think you'll find that the land will come under scrutiny for use for mm. expansion and fill-in is stuff that, w- that would otherwise not be open to the public. So I don't think that's as big a
0: furore as you might expect. And there was another, um, another part of the white paper which um, tries to deal with the whole problem of older people who want to downsize and, and the incentives uh, for older people to sell good family homes and, and plans for more sheltered housing schemes. Um, is that, I didn't see too much detail in how they're going to do that. but Well, it's because they can't
1: other than encouraging people to do it. You can't, you can't turn around to someone who spent their entire life paying for their house and then mm. saying, right, you've got to move out, you know. Otherwise, given that we're all not exactly spring chickens, yeah, we'd all be facing Speechless. much the same sort of thing. <laughs> so uh, I think the answer is they'd love to encourage people to do mm. that and to think about it. And they may well, Gavin Barwell, when I last saw him, did talk about um, some kind of stamp duty holiday mm. or stamp duty uh, diminution. Well, that's the, that that's the obvious
0: thing, Well, it's the thing, only it? yeah. thing,
1: really, I think, that they can do with that, yeah.
0: yeah. Matt, any... Thoughts on any of that?
2: Not especially. <laughs> um, no, I just uh, I've, 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 heard, I've heard not Ed, but in terms of the rhetoric that comes out about these house building things. You know, I, I did civil engineering at university in '97. I've been here. I, I'm left in '97, and I've been hearing the same thing over <laughs> and over and over again. Um, we have only built on about six percent of England. So this mm-hmm. idea that you couldn't just fill in between. The rest and the M25, I think, would I don't think it would affect anybody. But if you're going to do this, is the infrastructure coming? Yeah, so it's all well and good building these houses, but are you going to build the schools, the infrastructure, the roads? So, these are the things that, all, as somebody that studies civil engineering at university, you know, it's all well and good putting houses up, but are, how the people are going to get into town, Where, what's the jobs they're going to, the, have you put enough mm. schools in because, you know, there's not enough GP places, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I think I read the other week, I'm sure there were only something like 30,000 completions in London last year or something crazily low, right? Something crazily right. low. So yeah. if you're thinking about actually these numbers, mm. they might well hit the million target. But Well, there is an argument to suggest
1: that rather than, of course, uh, rather than necessarily... Uh, worrying about the infrastructure is to build where there is already infrastructure and there's been a lot of argument about whether you should be taking yeah. building to places where there are already lots of jobs rather than thinking about building and then expecting the jobs to come mm. so
0: that would buy into what Matt's just saying. We're building the whole new town well, as there are some a, of those going on. You've got Yeah, um, they've
2: got those. And, you, Ebs, and, and, Ebs and obviously, and... LNG have invested in these new sort of uh, prefabricated housing, Yeah, uh, which, you know, let's face it, if you're building something in a factory, the the ability to slap it up and get it up on the site, and as long as it's uh, it's got a hundred-year life on it, which is what any other new-build house has, um, or property, that's got to be a good thing too, because if you're going to hit this kind of this volume that their people are after, then the ability to, just to prefabricate mm. um, factory-built properties yeah. is, is, is a really good thing.
1: Well, bearing in mind that 80% of London's housing stock was built before eighteen, before 1920, pardon me, then
0: your 100-year rule means we might all be <laughs> seeing quite yeah. a lot of falling down buildings <laughs> quite <laughs> soon. But anyway. Yeah, mine's already starting to fall down, but that's a whole other <laughs> subject. <laughs> um, so uh, let's look at the, the stamp duty changes as a, as a whole. Do you think that was a a massive error by the by the then chance. Well, that, the trouble is
1: again talking. I mean, I personally think it was, and I think we we again we've talked about this before. But uh, it's no secret that the London property market is unique in that people move to more expensive and better locations because they want to, not because they need to. Yeah. So the market tends to get pulled from the top up. Mm-hmm. So if you're living in your one bedroom flat in Balham, you want to get a two bedroom flat in Battersea because it's a nicer area to live, and, and you want to be able to tell your mates you've done that. And when you, um, especially given the sort of slightly macho nature of the of the particularly London housing market, if you live in Fulham and you, you get a big bonus, you want to be able to go and show your mates that you're living in Seymour Walk in SW3, SW10. So if you choke off that bit of the market, it's all very well turning around and saying, oh, well, those are only wealthy people. Who cares about them from a voting perspective? But you then stop people moving up the chain. And we've now had two or three years, well, more than that, several years of that stopping. And that market is... I think volumes for properties at over three million quid are about 70% down in the last three years. Um, The problem is, of course, that the government isn't going to do anything about it until the stamp duty take starts to come down. They just don't. They only see it in fiduciary terms. So Mm -hmm. they're looking at it. And of course, at the moment, it's still skewed by the rush to beat the 3% surcharge. Uh, back at the tail end of last year. So the figures still look like they're going up, Or even though the underlying figure, if you take that 3%, right, that's coming down. Yeah. So so it'll need two or three quarters of that coming yeah. down before the government will think about it. I think they'll be forced to. And when Gavin Barwell was asked that last week at the meeting I was in, he absolutely sidestepped it and turned around and said, that's one for Phil Hammond. Called him Phil, by the way. So they're <laughs> obviously quite But he said, that's one for Phil. So I think it has to change. Um, and I think it will change. I just think that the financial imperatives at the moment are greater
0: than the mm. uh, political imperative. Very interesting. Um, so uh, what about the housing market as a whole in, in 2017? Should I, should I be a buyer or a seller?
1: Well, I think it depends where you are. I mean, I've got a friend of mine who's very lucky <laughs> who's just come back from his highly paid job in California and has a lot of money to spend. And he's been out looking at, at properties where he's been told, he is literally being told he can, he can buy them for almost 50% of what they would have been bought for really? three or four years ago. Now, whether the people will actually sell them for those figures yeah, is, another, course, is yeah. another thing entirely. But, uh, and, and that is obviously right at the top end of the market. So that end of the market, if you have to sell, so once you're over three, four million pounds, mm. if you have to sell, you're going to have to take a big hit. Then again, it depends what you're buying, Mont. Of course, people forget they're buying and selling in the same market. But nevertheless, um, the same applies to going to the country or wherever you are. It's not just London. It's it's about the empirical amount you're paying. Once you get up to those sort of levels, the stamp duty is a big disincentive. Mm. And for a lot of people coming over, if the stamp duty they're paying on their property is going to pay for five years of renting that property, why would anybody buy with all the agro that goes with it and the uncertainty mm. at the moment? So, the super prime and the prime rental market has been going up very strongly. The sales market hasn't. I think for everybody else, it's it's a long last time for people who live outside London and the southeast to start celebrating. But even the best forecast, even the most um, accurate forecasters from the last few years are still not forecasting much more than 20% growth over the next five years. No. So, bearing in mind that it wasn't that long ago when people expected in inverted commas to see 20% in one year 5 years is is whilst not normal mm. it's not really enough to pack your bags and go and buy lots and
0: lots of property so what would you say this year so uh, i think we've said uh, 2% Overall I think. Well, I think in London you'll be year. very lucky to see anything, and I
1: think yeah, overall in the London, country you'll see. Yeah. In, in 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 the country, I think it'll be positive. I think it'll be yeah. a bit more than that, to be honest yeah. with you, because I think there are so many transactions that are taking place outside London that uh, that will skew the figures to be more than two percent. I think mm. the rises when you go to places like East Anglia, the North West, places that have historically slumbered are now coming up, and they will they will form a much bigger part of the transaction pack, and therefore mean that you will the the rises are likely
0: to be a bit more than two percent. Mm. I think. And I've read that, um, well, certainly something we've seen, Matt, is uh, is, is uh, uh, an increasing number of first-time buyers who are coming back to the market.
1: Yeah, well, the figures from the agents say that about a third of all their inquiries now are from first-time buyers, which is up mm. a
0: lot. That's re- That's um, really encouraging.
1: And that's very encouraging. And uh, yeah. I think I'm probably right in saying
0: that you guys quite like first-time buyers. We do like first-time buyers, yeah. Um, we like first-time buyers a lot. Um, we like people helping people onto the property market and... and uh, and, and, and they're the, the people who, who, who need advice. Everyone and value needs it, advice. I guess, most. But I, I guess, yeah, they, they, they value it. Um, do you think those first-time buyers are, are, are winning where the, the, the landlord changes? <coughs> have, um...
1: Yes, I do. Yeah. I definitely think they do. I think there is... Uh, an, it's increasingly obvious that people aren't buying to rent. Um, and certainly my contacts within the government tell me that that was a very political stance they yeah. took. they deliberately wanted yeah. to try and stop the fall away in um, home ownership um, but I think it's a pretty skewed way of doing it I yeah. really do but it does seem to have affected the the market to an extent that first-time buyers are back thinking well actually we've, we've got a chance so we'll have to wait
0: and see what happens with prices for that very good just a reminder that you're listening to London Calling the property podcast from Corico professional mortgage brokers um, right Ed Vuba Yes, I'm fascinated, and I'm sure everyone listening is fascinated to know a little bit about uh, a little bit more about it. Do you want to?
1: Um, well, very briefly, it's a, it's just a simple service that's designed to help uh, anyone in the property industry, estate agents, lettings agents, property managers, do more with what they've got. Um, so many brands these days are worried about what's coming down the line in terms of online estate agents and all this sort of thing, and a lot of people have. Eighty percent of the businesses and the estate agency businesses in this country are one to three offices, and they have quite powerful brands, some of them. Mm-hmm. But they struggle to service areas a are long way away. So we've developed a network of local people. They're vetted, CRB check or DBS checks, they called now. Two-way one-pound bank transfers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, driving license. These are people who make themselves available to, to do viewings for people who can't get to them. So, right. Okay. So if, if you're an estate agent and you want to, get, you've got a property half an hour away. You don't want to have a negotiator out of the office for two hours. You can book a viewing through us online. It's all very mm. simple, and we just get a local person to go and do the viewing for you. So, and those people are rated on the feedback they give from the viewing or the open house. Yeah. Um, they're encouraged to familiarise mm. the, themselves with the property before they go. But they are—it's a very simple service designed
0: to just help estate agents do more with what they've got. Mm. So they become sort of like the local property experts in that. Not sort quite.
1: Of- they don't. That's that's a very very good point, and they're then. They're not trying to be estate agents. These are just viewing people just for opening the door. They're just providing a service in an ideal world an estate agent's negotiator will go along and open the place up. But there are an awful lot of asset managers, for instance, who manage properties all over the country Mm. and they end up having to pay people to go miles to go and and check these things. If you've got someone local who can just walk around the corner and check it up, Mm. why wouldn't you use a service like that? It's been going about nine months and it's very, very busy. We've got a huge number of... Over 2,000 people on, on wow, you know, people really? all over the country. There are no holes That's nationwide fantastic. and uh, an awful lot 65 customers now, some of whom are some of the big national companies yeah. uh, and growing very fast. So it's so a naturally conservative industry. The, 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 the property business I never realized until I got out of it quite how conservative it is. But um, in terms of technology solutions coming down so the line. So it's right for
2: a bit of disruption.
1: Well, it's certainly right for disruption, but I just think people need to be embracing that disruption and doing, giving it a bit of it themselves. You know, mm. the state agents, have they can't bury their head in the sands and carry on the way they've been going. I mean, my old company, which I'm happy to say I'm still a shareholder in at Douglas and Gordon, they've just opened a virtual office in Streatham. So they've got a local property expert there. Yeah. Um, and the marketing's done centrally. So yeah, there's there's a lot of change coming down the line. I've been so there's no
2: need for sure. the bricks and mortar operation. The, so do you think you, you'll end up with more sort of super branches rather than... I
1: think you'll end up with more spoken hub, as they okay. like to call it. You know, but like uh, a metro spoken bank hub. has a
2: big thing which attracts people in from a wider area. Yeah,
1: I, I don't think it signals the end of, of, of bricks and no. mortar, but, but I think one's got to understand that the current um, millennials coming through, who oh. are now what in their sort of mid to late 20s, when they become the predominant house buying or property buying public and indeed mortgage application yep. types, mm-hmm. they, these guys do not want to spend hours on the nope. telephone. They're used to doing everything on WhatsApp, yep. you know, on their, on their smartphone. So one ha- w- the the entire industry is going to have to develop to take account of how these people
0: want to do business. Mm. That's something Corico is doing, Matt, in terms of... Uh... Embracing technology, to, yeah, I think uh, as well. We had a generation v- coming we, through.
2: We yeah. had a very interesting presentation from our lender last week, didn't we? Who've done an awful lot of studying on the different how millennials like to fill out application forms and how sort of my age would fill out an application yeah, form. Yeah, very different. Um, um, I guess us online, we would just fill it out in a typical way. It's just boxes, boxes, boxes. Uh, but as somebody that's a millennial would fill it out much more like a, a WhatsApp kind of application, something that's almost feels interactive and talking to you. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of work to be done on the, on the demographic of the individual. You can't, there's the one size fits all is definitely not going to be, you can provide the same advice, but I guess it's the way that you communicate and the way you deliver it is, is, is something well, that's I one spending. of the
1: differences with what you guys do, of, of course, what <coughs> what you as brokers do is give is give expert advice to an individual, and th- they are your client. You know, they're they're the people you look after. Mm-hmm. Estate agents, for a very very long time, have considered that the person who's selling the property and paying their fees is their client, and, and buyers are just there to be sort of not put up with is completely the wrong word but you know you expect yeah. buyers yeah. to come along and the service you're being paid for is by the, the big difference seems to be that, that consumers are now the buyers that they're the people if you don't service them and you don't build make the them power. come on board exactly you don't build the relationship with them they ain't going to come on board mm. and i think that's a big shift and i think there's where the communication differences come in and the expectations between as you say the form filling for for us and them Are incredibly different and I think that uh, I mean the other thing is with one of the reasons for Viewber is it, it, it is extraordinary if you try and get a viewing on a property at a weekend or an evening how difficult it can be sometimes to get that viewing And in the old days, when I first started as an agent, which admittedly was in the 70s, quite a long time ago, if someone didn't... 1970s. You could almost check out how serious someone was by saying, well, look, I'm afraid I can't do it on Saturday afternoon. You wouldn't Mm. wouldn't add because I'm watching the rugby and I don't want to do it. You would say, but could you do it on Tuesday afternoon at 3 o'clock? And if they were serious, they would. Mm. Nowadays, people really expect that. And if you don't do the viewing when they say... So if if someone says, I want to do the viewing tomorrow evening at 7 o'clock and you say, well, actually, I'm afraid I can't do that that person will go home and in their inbox the following morning from Rightmove, super on the market, whoever it is, there'll be half a dozen new properties and they'll completely lose interest in the one they haven't seen and they'll just move on to the ones that are put in front of them. Yeah. So everything moves so fast, you have to be able to react to these mm. things and I think that's a big difference. And 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 unless the industry uh, adapts to reflect that, I think mm. it
0: will it will find it very difficult. And that's where prop tech is, is really coming into its own. Well, there are some very clever
1: bits of tech out there in terms of uh, booking of viewings online, for instance. There are some companies, Apply.Property, people like that, who... We'll put a widget on your website, and and when you when you look at it on Rightmove or on the market, whatever it is, and you 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 just click book a viewing, the diary of the office comes up, and you can just click it. You can just put a viewing straight into it, and you yeah. know it's done. And then when you go and see it, you can also make an offer online. You can close it out online. Mm. You know everything is moving that way. People don't want to have to spend hours chasing you on the telephone.
0: Very different. There are a couple of other headline topics at the moment. Obviously, one of them is Brexit. Um, boring. It is boring, I know. But um, is that still having an effect? Do you think Project Fear will ultimately be proved right?
1: No, I don't think it will. I think it's been pretty much discounted. It moved from buyer fear at the tail end of last year and it's now seller fear. Mm. So from an estate agent's point of view, seller fear is quite a good thing, because yeah, if sellers get so, yeah. a bit frightened, they're going to sell and move on, so yeah. I don't think it's nearly as much of a concern as it was
2: South Kensington, will
1: the Frenchie selling up? Well, don't forget for a lot of them, they, they, they won't be selling up and going home, because the exchange rate's gone so far against them, so they, they, they may have made enough money to, to enjoy doing it in reverse I think they'll probably be a bit more worried if Marine Le Pen wins in no, yeah, a few true. weeks' time, that'll be much more of a reason for them to sell and put their money back the France. Yeah, francs. absolutely. Um, but I don't think it's talked about in the same way. But don't forget that the, the Brexit isn't going to have an effect until until we're out. Yeah. So everything that's going on at the moment is still two years premature. Really, mm. we've still got a long time to wait. So, um, and frankly, I haven't got the energy to look no, two years right. ahead for the time
0: being. So. No. Um, I've got here Trump question mark.
1: Well, again, <laughs> it, it just becomes more of a. I mean, uh, there have been a lot of headline writers, particularly over the weekend, talking about how it might be a really good thing for the, for the London market in mm. that people want to. Can you imagine people thinking about a safe haven? Normally, it's what we talk about coming from dodgy countries to people who want to place money in the UK to keep mm. it safe. People coming from the US to stay safe? I don't think so, somehow. But uh, the exchange rate is very, very tempting for a lot of people. Mm. I mean, the aforementioned friend of mine who just come back from California has had a 20% uplift in what he was, what he had already, purely from the currency. I mean, you know, why, yeah. why wouldn't you enjoy that?
0: And uh, we've seen that uh, one of the help-to-buy schemes has come to an end. As um, a market, do you think the market has become addicted to schemes like that, or or is it in a in a position now where it can be weaned off that type of government support? I'm is fairly it, sure it, it can be weaned
1: off it. I mean, you know, the,
0: I think it's still a good thing to have it on the new
1: build side mm. to continue to to try and help people buy a new build to encourage people to build new homes. Mm. That that helps. But I think at a time when um, an awful lot of older people, the bank of mum and dad, for want of a better expression, have got a lot of money stashed away, which they can't use, and interest rates are still very low. And I mean, I'll be interested to ask you some questions in a minute on mortgages and whether they're easy to get or not, because, of course, people know more int- mortgages are very cheap. But my received wisdom and what I hear mm. from people is that they're more difficult than ever to get. So, you know, you, you would have thought in terms of the help-to-buy schemes when, when the bank and mum and dad and people who've got money have perhaps been stashing it a bit mm. so therefore can help out more and interest rates are low, perhaps the mm. time to wean people off it is now.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we've definitely seen that actually, although the, the help-to-buy scheme's gone, a lot of the lenders have, have come out and said, OK, although the guarantee scheme is gone, we're still here with 95% rates. Um, so there are still quite a few lenders out there, 95% loan-to-value product ninety percent loan to value. So products. that's like
1: the methadone to the smack that was being taken <laughs> yeah. by the help to
0: buy people before um, and what's interesting is actually because rates are so low now, um, and, and and really although you've seen the cost of funds, you've seen swap rates increase. Um, but actually, the competitive pressure amongst lenders is still keeping mortgage rates low. I mean, uh, only this week we saw um, Santander come out with a 0.99% 18-month fix. Um, so, so lenders are still really being competitive and really trying to get business in. Um, so it's still a bit of a misnomer that mortgages are hard to get. They're certainly not harder to get than ever. Um, they are still affordable in terms of the monthly payments because rates are so low, the biggest problem is still getting the cash. It's still getting the deposit, uh, which is where as Matt said, the the bank of mum and dad or the bank of gran and granddad are are, are coming into play massively now. Um, But as rates are so low, uh, lenders are starting to move from competing on mortgage rate because they don't want to bust their profitability anymore um, to criteria. So actually they're easing Restrictions on things like interest only. They're starting to ease off on their affordability as much as they can under the 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 new rules of the mortgage market review and now the pra um so that so they're starting to do you know um only again two weeks ago we had three lenders come out with mortgages for people who've been self-employed with only one year's accounts so things are starting to move
2: they're not harder though they're there there's there's a lot more they're not harder yeah so from our from our perspective the amount of work we do for a client is much more than it used to be. Yes,
1: yeah. So, yeah
2: um, which is fine. From a broker perspective. From a broker perspective, yes. Which is absolutely fine, you know, that's that's our job, that's so what we do. So people need a broker. So, so, yeah, so yeah it I mean, look, it is just not, I, I, I mean, I guess which is then why the market's become 70%, has become broker-led, so because it is much more paper-intensive, much more telling a story, much more knowing the right place to put it, because, you know, mm. if you're just a client wandering up and down the high street, you could be there forever, and that's yeah. why I guess the perception is that people say it's mm. hard, because if you don't know what you're doing, it is probably pretty it is very pretty hard
0: well that's a fair point because those three lenders who uh uh offer the one year's accounts are all broker only lenders so 10 years ago what would the broker percentage have been
2: uh when it we was, started yeah, Corico, when we started coraco so that was eight years ago it was it, it got down to 50 50 50 50 yeah Okay. So um, ten
1: years ago, probably would have been a bit less. Than yeah,
2: that. It, was a, it was a little bit higher, maybe because there was a lot of buy-to-let going on. But yeah, certainly on the on the on the regulated side, it was it was probably yeah. very much bank-led because people's initial instinctive reaction was, "I need to go to my bank to get my to get my lending." Whereas now now people, that's not what they're thinking. So um, it definitely has changed. Um, whether the FCA want to keep it at that level, or there, there's probably reasons to try and stop it being like that. But I guess as a consumer. You you get a pretty good choice these days. If you want to pay a fee, you don't want to pay a fee. You want to go direct. You don't want to go direct. I mean, there's lots, there's lots of options, which yeah, I guess is I a good thing. Most for
0: people are time poor, aren't they? So getting well, absolutely, especially help with yeah, that is yeah, quite important. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, finally, then I'll ask you both uh, for 2017 biggest fear and biggest hope. Um.
1: Hmm, Biggest fear—that's a really good one. I think the biggest fear would be that there is a misguided interest rate rise. Right. That okay. uh, George Clooney as Gavin Barwell calls—that's <laughs> that, what he calls Mark Carney. Um, <laughs> if he feels or decides to follow Janet Yellen in the states and and hmm. macho posturing means an interest rate rise, I think that would be bad news. Um, as for good news, it's difficult to tell, really. I mean, given the position we've been in, would would having Uh, someone like Marine Le Pen coming in and and the euro changing dramatically, that's never going to be a good thing. But I just wonder whether we may, if one's looking short term for a boost for the London property market, you know, a a malcontented Europe might be quite a good thing in the Mm. shorter term and that's a terrible thing to wish for from a property perspective I'm not sure that's a
0: good (laughs) hope
1: I think that will be a really concern (laughs) but I just think that at the moment the London property market it's always been rescued in the past by some sort of unexpected event Mm. yeah absolutely Um, and currency obviously the weak pound is what did it back in 08-09 and I just wonder what it might take to do it again this time but uh, it's certainly in need of rescuing and I don't think anyone should I think people underestimate the devastation effect that politics and economics have had on the top end of the London property market, at their peril. Mm. Matt,
0: biggest fear?
2: I don't really do fears and negatives. <laughs> <laughs> My biggest fear, you all, in, You're in always all,
0: moaning on, about me about
2: something. In, in, in all do would be more political interference and uh, and and governmental regulatory changes. I just just. For for the first time in eight years of Coraco in existence, can we just sort of leave that alone? So let's just have a nice, safe sailing ship for the whole year. That would be, mm. that would be, they're, they're almost my fear and my, uh, and the good in, in, in one. Yeah. I just like to just leave us alone to just get on with it. The, the consumer needs us more than ever now. Let's just get on, let's speak to the people that need to be spoken to and, uh, and help them buy their properties. That's what, that's what I really want to, to for, for, from our point of view. Um, cause we do a good job and, um, And the consumer will benefit greatly out of not having any more interference, quite frankly. Well, you
0: want to spend more time doing a good job and less time looking at the small print. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, Well, I think we're just about out of time. So uh, thank you to my guest, Ed Mead. Thank you, sir. Uh, And thank you, Matt. No problem. As ever. Uh, Thank you all for listening. We'll be back soon with some more topical chat. And as ever, if you've got any comments or requests for topics or even people to have on the show uh, in future episodes, then please feel free to contact us. You can get us on Twitter at Coraco or through our website at www.coraco.co.uk. Until next time, this is London Calling.